so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. God is a holy God, and He is serious about us walking in holiness. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. The Bible says, woe to those who isolate themselves or who don't have anyone there to pick them up when they fall down. The gospel hope is that we believe in a God who is engaged with His Son. I have had to come to terms with the fact that I live in a broken world, and I live in a broken body. So if we're going to make a mark on the world, it'll be because of our knowledge of the Word and then our application of the Word. What if the one thing that we're praying for God to take away is the one thing He's using to make us more like Jesus? Welcome to the ERLC podcast. I'm Trillia Newbell, the Director of Community Outreach here at the ERLC, and you are listening to a special series we've been doing called How to Handle. Today, I'm, I'm excited for a number of reasons. One, I have two good friends on the line, but two, we're talking about a topic that is near and dear to my own heart. In How to Handle, we've, we try to address topics that and issues that are important to the church, but maybe aren't talked about um, enough or explicitly. So today I have on the line Jen Wilkin, who is an author and Bible teacher. She's on staff at the Village Church. And Melissa Kruger, who is also an author and also on staff at her local church. Both of them are teachers of the Word and just amazing women. And, And I say that without any hesitation. Thank you, Jen and Melissa. Are you on? Yes, thanks for having us on. I'm so glad. So today, we are going to be talking about women's ministry. And I want to get as specific as possible because women's ministry, that's kind of this broad. But I think in today's culture, and even over the last month, with questions like, should men read women? And should people be professors? Mm -hmm. These are the things that... um, we're thinking through and and talking about in the local church. And I know for myself, um, I, I taught at a recent conference, and a group of several women came up to me privately and, and just expressed how difficult or, well, for some it was difficult, for others it was fear. It was for them to approach this topic or talk to this topic to their pastors. And so my question First, is why is this topic important? And you can just, um, we'll start with you, Jen, and then Melissa chime in after that. Well, yeah, I think it's important because over half the church is women, right? right. So um, <laughs> you want to make sure that you, if, if you're, a, if you're a, a male leader in the church, 
um, you, you certainly wouldn't want to make the assumption that um, just by virtue of being a pastor or a, a male leader that, that you're, uh, you have every insight you need into ministering to that half of the congregation. And so, you know, one of the things that actually women's ministry does that helps with this conversation is it gives clear pathways for women leaders to emerge in your church. That's mm. one of my favorite things about it. Um, because typically the pathways for leadership in the local church are geared more toward identifying male leaders who can become pastors. And that's just kind of the nature of the environments that we inhabit. So it's an important discussion to have because we would all acknowledge that, or I hope we would all acknowledge that um, based on the idea that it is not good for the man to be alone, we should be looking for ways to invite the voices of qualified women into important conversations and, and even identifying who those women are is most often, I would say, in the local church accomplished through the vehicle of, of a formal women's ministry of some kind. No, that's helpful. What about you, Melissa? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this topic is so crucial um, for a lot of the reasons Jen was just discussing. As we think about a body, if half of the, our body doesn't work, um, that's that's not going to go well. <laughs> We're going to be limping around as a church um, in a lot of ways. And truthfully, I just think we have to focus on building up the entire body of Christ because mm-hmm. we have the grace of God to extend to the watching world. And there's just too big of a harvest field. We need every member working in conjunction mm-hmm. with every other member um, so that the church is built up and so that the gospel is proclaimed um, because mm-hmm. every person in our church is going out to different areas of the world every day. And so every one of us, we're only as strong as in some sense our weakest link because we are one mm-hmm. body going out into the world. And so we want both men and women to be built up and sent um, to go and make disciples. We need all parts working, or else we are going to just um, not work as well as the body should work. And so it's a, um, to me, it's just a great joy to get to work in ministry with and to um, women. Um, it's something I count a great privilege, and I know you both do as well. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that... I imagine um, there are going to be some pastors listening, and I'm going to um, speak very bluntly here. Um, (laughs) One of the things that I've noticed or I've seen and I've experienced is pastors who might say, well, we don't want to become over-programmatic, and we need to be one unit in one body, and so we don't want to divide the church into men and women, et cetera, et cetera. But yet, so much of the equipping and the the teaching that's outside of the Sunday Sunday gathering is directed towards men. So how can we cast a vision for the pastor who maybe isn't isn't sold? So right, both of those answers were exceptional. Um, but how do we actually cast a vision for someone who they're just they're just not convinced that this is this is important, um, that it's it's they they understand that um, it's important to have women in, in, who are involved, but do they really need a women's ministry? Yeah, so I'm a big advocate for single gender environments, specifically single gender learning environments. So a big piece of this is asking how do men and women typically learn, and how how does the process of discipleship happen just with the communication of the core elements of our faith and Bible literacy. 
And uh, this is not universally true, but what I have found to be true as in putting together classes now, my responsibility is for classes for both men and for women, is that women want to gather and have a feelings level discussion around what they have been looking at. And they need to be pressed a little bit to have a thought level discussion around what they're looking at. And when you only have uh, discussions happening in mixed gender environments, well, I mean, just straight up sociologists will tell you that even in a, in a secular workplace environment, if you have the same number of men and women in a room having a meeting, the men are going to contribute twice as many comments as the women do. Mm. And mm. so you, you transpose that dynamic into a theologically conservative environment that rewards women for having a quiet and gentle spirit in some mm. weird, uh, weird ways. <laughs> uh, women perceive that there's a penalty or there's a social penalty for entering into the conversation alongside the men at the thought level. And they may enter in at the feelings level, but probably not at the thought level. And so hmm. they can end up being hobbled in a mixed gender learning environment in particular. Uh, and then, so that's why I, I love to guard single gender learning environments, not as the exclusive form in which we learn. I think it should be a both and. There should be places where men and women learn together and places where they learn uh, as a single gender. The other beauty of the single gender environment is um, in identifying issues in the church, such as abuse, Mm. because a woman is more likely to divulge an abusive relationship to a group that is all female than she is to a group that is mixed gender, predominantly male. So there's just a lot of ministry Mm -hmm. that can happen when we create space for it too, along gender lines. No, that's very Mm -hmm. good. That's really good. Yeah, that's... That's the area I have seen particularly what can happen in a small group setting, even with sharing prayer requests, confessing mm-hmm. sin. Um, those are often easier in single gender environments. Um, it's just difficult, you know, <laughs> sometimes to, it's going to be difficult for a woman to share about something like an abortion anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think when she feels like she is safe among other women to talk about certain topics like that, it just helps this conversation. And I think men feel the same way. Mm-hmm. There are things they prefer to share about with other men. Absolutely. Um, because yeah. there is a level in which we can understand each other um, and what certain things mean in a different way. Um, obviously, we all want to say that we still, we are a family and mm-hmm. we um, we want environments where men and women are together for certain. We don't want separate silos in the church. We want to be one body working together. But I, I agree with Jen. We just need spaces at times where we can um, be in environments with just women and just men. We need both mm-hmm. in Absolutely. our churches, I think. So this, in many ways, where you're headed, at least— is a discipleship issue. It's um, about discipling the women within your congregation. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that, the, you know, the number, in my opinion, the number one issue confronting the church as we move into a secular, fully secular culture is lack of firsthand knowledge of our sacred text. So because mm-hmm. of that, we, we crumble at the, at the least challenge to our views because all we know is what someone told us the Bible says. We don't know what the Bible actually says. And that's Mm -hmm. true for both men and women. Um, But I would say that women almost carry a greater liability in this conversation because women more so than men have, have been taught to view themselves as predominantly emotional and not intellectual. 
And I don't mm-hmm. love that. I know that that's changing among mm-hmm. younger women, but, um, but, but for us, the, the distance that we need to go to recapture Bible literacy and doctrinal purity may be a little further than it is for some of the men who haven't encountered some of the anti-intellectual messages that trickle into women's environments. And so there's a lot at stake just in terms of Christian formation That's good. Uh, from, from where I sit. Mm. Yeah. And, and I actually think in that women um, tend to be larger readers. Um, so we have the ability, if we are not in the biblical text, as Jen was just talking about, I think we have more opportunity to hear false teaching and be swayed because we actually read more. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so if we don't know what Scripture says, we're not going to have the discernment when we hear false teaching. We have mm-hmm. to yep. be so rooted in truth that when we're reading all these things outside of it, that our ears should prick up immediately when we hear something and say, that is not what the Bible says. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think for women in particular, because we do often read a wider range of things, you know, it's really important. And that's just where I see it is in this element of discernment right now. What is truth? Um, is this question, as we're hearing so many different ideas in discussed in culture, that if we don't have that firm grasp of scripture, we are going to just be taken away down the cultural current. I love what Jen said about a clear pathway for women leaders. So discipleship, mm-hmm. um, women being able to exercise the gifts and serve. I've heard a unity mm-hmm. of spirit. So the question is then, how can local churches become equipped? How can they become equipped to take this that you're saying and put it into action? Melissa? <laughs> well, I will say, and, and this is, I, I will say, I think one of the biggest things we can do is hire women on staff. That's great. And, um, because they are going to naturally be thinking about some of these things as it relates to women. Right. So um, just by who they are and the circles they're running in and the conversations over coffee that they're having, um, they're going to be hearing different conversations. And so I think when you have a woman on staff, she can just bring that perspective to the discussion. Um, I've now been on staff almost 10 years at my church, and I was actually just sitting down today with lunch with some women, and I was pouring over the different things we've done over the 10 years, and I had to keep saying, Remember, we've done this over 10 years. It didn't happen overnight. (laughs) That's good. Um, But I've had, because my church has paid me, I've had the ability to spend time thinking about what's the best way to set up mentoring in our church? What's the best way to um, set up discipleship? What's a good women's Sunday school class we can do? My brain has been allowed to think of that for 10 years. And so I feel like um, that opportunity is a wonderful thing when we can have women on staff who can really laser focus in on some of those topics and um, help the church in that way. That is, that's that's yeah, excellent. Go ahead, Yeah, I, I totally, I agree. I second that. And I, I, um, I've had the privilege of, of getting to speak into a lot of things that I, that, uh, I have no prior experience of churches inviting the voices of women into. And I feel like it has brought just a lot of health. Um, not, it, it hasn't just helped the men who are in the rooms. I feel like it's helped me, you know, to listen to the mm-hmm. way that they're thinking about ministry as well. It's shaped my, my thinking. Um, but, you know, there was a period of time where I was probably the only hand in the room saying, hey, have we looked at the, the local school calendar before we planned our event? You know, I mean, there were some things that just were on my radar really that good. weren't necessarily on theirs. And it, there was, it made sense that they weren't, you know, or, or things like, hey, 
uh, could we please find a way to offer childcare for this? Because otherwise mm-hmm. the men will be able to opt in easily and the women won't. So a lot of what I feel like women on staff can contribute, there's that beautiful thing that, that Melissa was just touching on that, that you able, you're able to build an area of sort of expertise and insight sim- similar to what the, the men have rather than a woman who's in a lay position, who's maybe in and out of the role or can only give so much time to it. So there's buy-in, right? right. There's an investment mm-hmm. both on the side of the woman and also on the side of the church. Uh, by by paying her uh, uh, an income. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, a woman, because she's an embodied female, is just more aware of the obstacles to opting in to ministry than, than a man as an embodied male is. I, I understand intuitively what is blocking a woman from being able to receive theological education. She needs someone to yep. take care of her kids. She yep. needs it to be nearby. She needs the cost to be affordable. You know, there are all of these hurdles for her yep. that the average man can usually get past a lot quicker. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer different insight into how we structure ministry that we want to be accessible to both men and to women. But also, I would just note that my, my contributions in those rooms, I hope, are not just because I'm a female. Yes. Um, you, want a, you want a woman in the room, but you also just want the right person who, who is also conveniently female. And, and, and those things, then you, then you get sort of like double bang for your buck, so to speak. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and just to give a, even a different perspective, I think that um, it would be amazing if every single church could hire a woman on staff. We know that every church can't necessarily pay right. for, a, although I think um, there's probably a way to make that happen. But for in my situation, for example, I um, attend a church plant, and mm-hmm. but yet I, I help lead the women's ministry, and um, but it's completely voluntarily. I'm bought mm-hmm. in because I'm bought in to this desire to disciple women. <laughs> I'm bought in because mm-hmm. I have, I hope, have a... Um, a heart for this ministry. I, in other words, I I believe wholeheartedly in what we are speaking about right now, and I believe it's from a biblical perspective. And I I think it's important that the women are involved. So I I'm excited to do it. Though I'd love to get paid if you're listening, Pastor. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, but the reality is is and and. And there, pro- there might be a time for that, but the reality is, is that for some, it may be more difficult. But I don't mm-hmm. want, I would not want that to hinder a pastor from reaching out to uh, a woman leader or a woman who has a desire to to see a women's ministry built. So I just wanted to go ahead and give that caveat because I think some people, I don't want anyone to be excused. <laughs> Don't excuse yourself because of finances. But I do think um, if and when possible, it's great if you can hire someone on the staff. So I, I, I think that's excellent way to equip. And, and one thing I would say about that, too, is even if they can't hire someone on staff right now, let's say they look at their budget and just say it's impossible, I do think including um, a budget for ministry of women mm-hmm. in the church is really important if they can. I mean... So that your women leaders who are doing what you're doing, Trillia, can can attend conferences where they get fed and get poured into and right. can have times like that on the church, you know, to say, hey, we're going to send you because we value your work among us. We Even just to communicate, we wish we could pay you. We know you mm-hmm. deserve to be paid. 
Um, we mm-hmm. value your work, and so we want to support you in these ways um, by helping with curriculum so that these women can study and be aware of what's going on. Um, there are so many ways the church can help and come alongside women, even if they can't hire a woman on staff. So I just want to make sure I say that because I think there, um, there's a whole category there that we can tap into if you know, to use certain resources if we can. Absolutely. And again, talking from personal perspective, that is where I think our church in a church plant or a lot of, or at least that's my experience, is that we have resources to help equip women and and, and mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. And and so I think if we, if it's important to, to you, and it should be because like Jen referenced and you referenced Melissa, it's half the church. So if it's important <laughs> to you, then you're going to you're going to make space and you're going to figure out what budget items you can p- put in and how to make it work. And so, so yeah, I think that's this is good. So here's a question that I don't know is actually applied often to this conversation, but does the gospel apply here? Um, is it is there a gospel implication call? And for someone who is discouraged. Is there gospel hope? Because, again, um, a lot of women I speak to are incredibly discouraged in the church in regards to feeling supported or heard. Mm -hmm. So is there an application here that you could encourage um, our listeners with? Yeah. um, I mean, it's obviously a gospel issue from the standpoint of... um, if you compare the cultural mandate, you know, given in Genesis one and two, it's given to the man and to the woman. Um, there is, there is no possibility of fruitfulness and multiplication unless the woman is created. Right. I mean, like when the second human is created, it is not a man because there's no fruitfulness and multiplication. If it's two men, it has to be a man and a woman for that, that uh, mission to go forward. And so then when you consider that, that, cultural mandate finds its um, spiritual fulfillment in the Great Commission right. that were to go and make disciples, to make image bearers and fill the world with image bearers, um, then we would be foolish to assume that if the cultural mandate is impossible to accomplish without the essential and indispensable contribution of the woman, then mm-hmm. that the Great Commission can be accomplished without the essential and Excellent. indispensable contributions of the woman. So that doesn't mean that just because I make this beautiful connection, every male staff member and senior pastor is going to be like, oh, that's great. We really need to make sure that we elevate the voices and and roles of women in the church. And I'll just say from my own perspective, I never expected I would have I would have served as a volunteer forever and not even known to question whether that was appropriate or not or helpful or not. I just would have done it because I loved it. Kind of like what you're describing, Trillia. And I've had to learn uh, as the years have passed, that it's important for the church to dignify the work of its of its workers, you right. know, to to um, to pay the workman his wage, so to speak, uh, because it's good on both sides of the equation. But for women who are wondering, is there ever going to be a dignifying of the role of women in my local church? I, I would just say it's good for you to feel that and to long for it and to pray for it and to take opportunities as you have them to to um, say what you need to say or to ask the question you need to ask. But a compelling way to gain credibility for your message is to simply live the more beautiful vision. Like mm. be the woman yes. who is who is an essential and indispensable 
uh, addition to the life of your local church. Yes. Yes. Which, which then, in my experience, opens up opportunities to have other conversations. But the Lord sees you. Like, there's no reason for, <laughs> for despair. The Lord sees you, and He will use you either through the local church or outside of the local church if the local church is, is close to you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I love Live the Vision. I, I do think that we can, and rightfully so, we can get I hate to use the word caught up. We can, but I'm going to use the word caught up. We can get caught up in the debate that we forget that we can live this beautiful vision um, Mm -hmm. and work out our salvation with fear and trembling and take our faith and put it Mm -hmm. into action and live out that, that which we hope to see and go and make disciples of all nations. Like Melissa, Mm -hmm. you, you referenced earlier that the workers are few and we need to be working. And so um, I just, I really, I love that, that call to, for the woman who is discouraged to take your, your cares and burdens to the Lord and to your pastor potentially (laughs) and, and make sure that we're voicing these concerns, but don't stop there and actually work, do the work of ministry. Um, which we are called to do, we're all called to do. Melissa, the Lord sees you, Jen said, and I just thought, mm. what a what a great—it reminded me of Hebrews, and I don't have it in front of me, but um, is the Lord so unjust that He forgets the work that you did for the saints? Mm. Um, would, mm. So God— God sees us. He he sees he sees our work. He sees our needs. He he knows our desires before we even speak them. So how can you encourage the 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 woman again who is discouraged and even even she hears that, but she's been maybe she's been denied as Jen alluded to. Maybe she, and and she feels defeated. She's just the thought of taking a, another step of faith is is almost <laughs> crushing to her because mm-hmm. she she has she stepped out how can we build up our women to taking our faith in action and just do doers of the word yeah i think one thing i mean that i constantly think of when I, we all battle this in some ways is my work significant does it matter um or, or we feel like we're bumping up against um walls that we can't overcome the lord wherever he has placed you today there is an opportunity for ministry. Um, you know, sometimes if there's not a formal ministry in the church, which I've talked to many women who feel that, I say things like, just start a Bible study in your neighborhood. <laughs> you, you don't have to wait for anyone's permission to read the Bible with other women. Mm. Um, and so I just like to <laughs> encourage women, be where you are and go with the word that's implanted in you and share it with others however you can. And know, just just like we talked about, the Lord sees your labors and that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. No one at your church may even know what you're doing um, as you sit on a park bench and share the gospel with someone at preschool. That's okay. The Lord knows. And the, the, mm-hmm. we have this treasure in these jars of clay that we can offer this word of life to other women. It's the best thing to get to spend our lives on. And the fields are ripe for harvest. So go. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to say, don't let um, systems hold you back. We're allowed to share the gospel. We don't have to wait. Jesus has told us our mission. <laughs> um, and we can go forward and do that. And it's a glorious mission we've been given. Um, and so I, I think sometimes we feel like we have to wait for someone to ask us. So I'll, I'll tell you, 
go and share the gospel. <laughs> go do it with someone today. Um, and so you are equipped to do it. The Holy Spirit is in you. Um, share the word, whatever of it you know, share it with others. That is excellent. And Jen, I'm going to I'm gonna make you tell us why you're laughing. So, because <laughs> I kept laughing. I just you, love it. I, I just do too. Love it. There's no, no one doesn't get to have no, you know, we all have purpose in the, in the family of God. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not, it's never wrong to desire the right, the right form of recognition for contributions. That's not, you know, that's a, that's more of a yeah. justice issue. But but it's also uh, would be wrong to not move forward with what the Lord has clearly called you to do simply because that hasn't happened. And I think Melissa's hit it. We have a tendency to want to ask permission yes. for every single thing. And yep. and as she said, I love that. You have permission. Go and make disciples. <laughs> Go and make disciples. God's given you the permission. Yeah. You don't need any more. That's helpful. That's exactly why I kept laughing too. And I just want to make sure we were on the same page. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I think we we wait for permission. And so what a freeing, what a freeing word to end on. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, it's freeing. There's freedom to to do this work of ministry. And, um, and I think a lot of us are bound by fear and and waiting, yeah, waiting for someone to tell us it could be a cultural thing. Uh, it could be the church and how our cultural environments and what we've been, or or a misapplication of the Bible, <laughs> which I think is is a great potential there. So, um, so be free, ladies. Go and and make disciples of all nations. I love that. Okay, so I want to encourage everyone listening, that um, I know Jen and Melissa, and if you want to be equipped, you can follow those guys. (laughs) If we want to, I I highly recommend their work, their writing, their ministry, their voices. And um, I think if if you can find them, read their word, um, this is men and women, (laughs) read and learn from them, uh, you will be equipped. So my question for you both is where can they find you? The easiest place. Jen, then Melissa, tell us. JenWilkin.net. Easy enough. (laughs) Melissa? Mm -hmm. It's it's Wilkin with two eyes. Nobody ever spells it right, so you could be the first. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm at thegospelcoalition.org. Backslash blog, backslash Melissa Kruger. Sorry, I don't know where okay. I am. Okay, that's hilarious. <laughs> Just Google, <laughs> search yeah, Google. Melissa Kruger. <laughs> She's also on Twitter. That is hilarious. And Jen is on Twitter as Jennifer Wilkin. So, yes, you can find them both really easy if you search their names and look up their sites. So, thank you guys so much. This was incredibly helpful and I imagine will be something that people will come back and listen to because I was taking notes and I'm I'm actually just hosting it so <laughs> so I, this is it was helpful for me so thank you both I'm grateful oh thanks, thanks for, for having, having us, us. you've been listening to the ERLC podcast I'm Trillia Newbell, and we hope you'll tune in next time.